about that. We're going to open up in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 22. Let me read just a couple of verses to get us back into context. Uh, I will start uh, down in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. Uh, we talked last, uh, last time about that phrase, the last time. Specifically, we talked about how we are in the last dispensation. And you'll recall, we went to uh, Acts chapter 2, Joel chapter 2. And that's what he's talking about here as he talks about uh, being in the last time. Uh, he says, little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. And even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Verse 21, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. All right, he's going to pick up here in verse 22. Hopefully I don't have a problem talking. I broke, one of my, I broke my back molar Friday eating a hamburger, and it's rubbing on my tongue. And I, didn't go to the, and I haven't gone to the dentist yet because I had an audit Monday through till today. And it hurts. All right, verse 22. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Now, he starts off talking about the Antichrist, and we hear a lot of people talking about the Antichrist. Who are some, who are some recent people that, that people have said, oh, it's the Antichrist? Anybody think of any off the top of the hand? Any Pretty much any president. The Pope. Every new pope, he's the Antichrist, right? They've had a bunch. Well, here, we just saw, he talks about there are many Antichrists. Uh, the idea of being opposed to Christ, that's what Antichrist means. He says, but, he says, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist. Before I go on, how is it that somebody could deny that Jesus is Christ? Anybody have any ideas? What's a logical way you could deny he's Christ? Not following his word. So you've got people who may actually say he's Christ, but they deny that he's Christ simply through the way that they act. Or they could be a little more flamboyant and actually verbally deny that he is Christ, right? Uh, we have groups that do that today. We have atheists, agnostics. Uh, you have uh, a number of different religious groups. Um, they would, they would say they agree with this, but it's true. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, a lot of people think Jesus' name was Jesus Christ, like it's his last name. Uh, the word Christ is uh, Christos. It means the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They don't believe he's the anointed one. Uh, they believe a number of things, but they do not believe that. So... <clears throat> Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Well, and let's keep this in context of who he's talking about here. It appears these antichrists that he's talking about 
had already separated themselves from the church. We got that back in 1 John 2.19. But they continued to attempt to deceive these brethren. We actually are going to learn that here in a minute when we go down to 1 John 2.26. We'll also learn it in the next chapter. By claiming to be spirits or prophets. 1 John 4.1-2. So these are people claiming to be Christians. They're denying that Jesus actually was the Christ. And yet, they're, they're trying to convince these brethren, these first century Christians, that Jesus was not the Messiah. And they denied that very central teaching that He was the Christ or the Son of God. Does that sound like a group that was prevalent in the first century that comes to mind? Anybody know? What group, what group had an issue with Jesus in the flesh? Very good. Gnostics or... The earlier form of the Gnostics, what they came from, would be the Docetists. Okay? That's, exactly, that's exactly where I go when I begin to start to read this. Who would be denying that Jesus was the Christ in the flesh? Well, that would be the Gnostics. And we have examples of uh, them struggling and dealing with the Gnostics. As a matter of fact, we started off the beginning of 1 John talking about the Gnostics. <clears throat> now, and so let's say this. He talked about if they were truly of us, they would not have gone out from, from us. Whoever these people are, and I believe also they are most likely Gnostics or the, or the Docetists, they were, they were worshiping and in close contact with these brethren, so much so that they appeared to be basically false brethren, right? Or they were unfaithful brethren, one of the two there. Again, I can't think of any other groups that were either trying to infiltrate the church or deceive them other than the Gnostics. So I think that's really what, we, what we're finding here. So again, it appears from the context of this book that these Antichrists who denied Jesus being the Messiah were most likely those described as Gnostics, or again, the early Docetists, who denied Christ was the Messiah who took upon flesh. And why did they struggle so much with thinking that Jesus, if he was the Messiah, could not be in the form of flesh? What was their reasoning for that? Because flesh is sinful. I don't have this in my notes, but here's where that mindset goes to. You have an early person by the name of Augustine. Augustine was an extremely unfaithful person younger in his life. And Augustine struggled with the fact that he did a lot of those bad things, and he struggled with the fact, because the scriptures are pretty clear, when you live that kind of lifestyle, you don't go to heaven. He struggled with that. <clears throat> so Augustine came up with the idea that the flesh was inherently sinful. Where do you think he got that from? The Gnostics. And what was the general conclusion of Augustine? And does anybody know who took Augustine's ideas and ran with them even more? Augustine started to come up with this idea that you're a rank heretic or you're a rank sinner, naturally. That's just kind of who you are because you're, you're in the flesh. And based on that, you're going to do bad things. However, God can make a way for you to be saved and it has nothing to do with the sinful things that you've done. Okay? That all came out of the Gnostic belief. Who in the Middle Ages took that and ran with it? And that's really the influence on the Baptists, the community churches, and all that. John Calvin. John Calvin also struggled with the fact that he was a uh, <clears throat> person who had done a lot of bad things, and, and he also came to the same conclusion that 
he didn't want to give up those bad things really per se. He fell in love with the writings of Augustine, highly, um, highly followed after his teachings, really teaches very similar to what Augustine believed, again, which is a basis off of Gnosticism, all because of the flesh. Uh, and that's really why you have so many people today teaching the uh, Calvinistic, what we would call the acronym of TULIP, right? Total depravity. Larry, you are a rank, rank sinner back there, and it doesn't matter how much you want to be faithful to God, you just can't be, you can't be faithful because you're, you're just a rank sinner. And it's, <laughs> and it's because you're in the flesh, which is what the Gnostics struggled with, right? So when you start trying to figure out why the world today believes the things they do, Gnostic, the Gnostics or Gnosticism really taught the same thing. Uh, there are people today who believe Jesus was a man who lived but was not the Messiah. You have a lot of people that believe that, right? Historically, there was a man named Jesus, but he was not the Messiah. Now take that on a spiritual level. You had people who spiritually believed that Jesus was a man who lived, and they may even claim to be followers of him, but they don't believe he's the Messiah. They didn't believe, the Gnostics didn't believe that Jesus uh, was, a, was God in the flesh. And you have the same thing with Jehovah's Witnesses and other groups, okay? That's, that's what he's dealing with right here, what, or what John is referring to. Now he continues on. Whosoever denieth the Son, so these Gnostics, if they don't believe that Jesus Christ literally was God in the flesh, and they deny Jesus, what's the logical conclusion? Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. Why would that be before we go on? Jesus was part of what? The Godhead. So they reject Jesus as part of the Godhead, but they, might, they would go around and, and say that they believe in God? Could you, could you reject a part of the Godhead and still be a faithful follower of another member of the Godhead or in alignment with the teaching of the Godhead? No, he goes on, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. All right, so logically, a person cannot claim to be a follower of God and reject the Christ, who is also God. Again, we could go back and spend some time talking about uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they, they outright reject Christ as the Messiah. Uh, how about the Jews? The Jews all claim to be followers of God, and yet they reject, they reject the second person of the Godhead, who's Christ, which is, again, the reason they're Jews is because they haven't obeyed the gospel. Otherwise, they'd be Christians, right? They claim to be the faithful of God, and they were at one time, but they're not the faithful of God anymore because they've, they have not submitted themselves to the second member of the Godhead and to his teaching. So they didn't obey the gospel. <clears throat> the Godhead, is, this is really what's confusing for some. The Godhead is one, Ephesians 4, 6, and one cannot claim to be a follower of God, yet deny any portion of the Godhead. Let's get away from, the Holy, or get away from Christ for a minute and let's go ahead and go to the Holy Spirit. Let's say you believe in God, you believe in Christ as the Messiah, but you outright reject the inspiration of the Scriptures. What is that, what is that a rejection of? It's a rejection of the Holy Spirit. The inspired Scriptures came through the Holy Spirit, right? 
Uh, and I'm going to touch on this here in a second. Many people accuse those who do not believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as denying a member of the Godhead or blaspheming the Holy Spirit. How many have ever heard that? Let me give you an example. Um, I was talking to a lady at a funeral, and she heard I was a minister for the Churches of Christ, and she said, you guys, uh, you guys don't believe in the Holy Spirit. I think that's how it started. And I said, what? And she said, well, you guys don't believe in being born again of the Holy Spirit. How would, how would anybody respond to that? I responded with Scripture. I said, I 100% I believe in being born again, which includes the Holy Spirit, based on John uh, 3, verses 3 through 5, with Nicodemus, where we were told we had to be born again of water and spirit. I said, do you believe in being born again? She said, yes. I said, so do I. I said, here's the difference. You believe when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And she said, yes. And I said, I don't believe that. I don't believe the Holy Spirit literally indwells in me. And she said, well, isn't that, isn't that denying the Holy Spirit? Or some have claimed we're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. We have talked about this a few times, and I, I know I've written on it a few times. Can a person actually blaspheme the Holy Spirit the way that we find recorded in the Scriptures in the New Testament? Not exactly. I wish we could spend more time on this tonight. Challenging how, I should have capitalized this, challenging how he works, the Holy Spirit, is not denying that he works and is not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. If Joe and Larry have a difference of belief on how the Holy Spirit works, I actually had this conversation at work. A gentleman believes the Holy Spirit resides in him personally. He actually did tell me I was blaspheming the Holy Spirit. He said, I believe the Holy Spirit is in me. Literally, you do not believe that. You're blaspheming. And I said, I believe there's a Holy Spirit. Do you? He said, yes, I believe there's a Holy Spirit. I said, I believe the Holy Spirit has a work. Do you? He said, yes, I do. I believe that. I said, I don't believe that he is inside of me, but I do believe he exists. I believe that he works differently than you think. Am I blaspheming the Holy Spirit? And he had to think about that. I'm not denying that he exists or that he works. I just don't believe he works in the way you think. However, I could outright deny the Holy Spirit by denying the Scriptures, right? In the first century, though, that's not what we find. When we find the term blaspheming the Holy Spirit being used, here's what we find. There were those in the first century who could see miraculous events taking place. Who in the first century had miraculous ability? The apostles did. And the ones that had hands laid upon them and received a miracle or a gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's use Jerry here as a New Testament Christian in the first century. Alec is an apostle. <laughs> Not really, but Alec's an apostle. He comes over, he teaches the gospel. Jerry becomes a Christian. He lays hands on him. He gives him a miraculous gift. And there are people that could literally see the receiving of this gift or the power of the Holy Spirit 
and they would reject the word given from that apostle who was confirming his words through miraculous gifts or reject the work of the Holy Spirit, literally seeing Jerry, for example, have a gift that was given to him, uh, and they could reject that, that which was being confirmed miraculously uh, of the word by which they were giving. And they would see that literally and deny it. What would be a good example where people saw a large gathering in Jerusalem where they saw the miraculous literally in front of them taking place, so much so that they were trying to figure out what's going on. And after they saw it and heard the words, some people obeyed the gospel, but many of them did not. Where do, where do we first find that taking place? First time the gospel's taught. Acts chapter 2, there in Jerusalem. They literally saw the apostles. They saw the miraculous taking place. They saw uh, the speaking in tongues, and they outright rejected it. That is, a, that is the blaspheming or, and or rejection of the Holy Spirit. It literally was occurring right in front of them, right? You had people rejecting the inspired word all the way back in the, in the Old Testament. And you find it in the New Testament, and you find it today. But that's not normally when you find the, when you find the word blaspheming the Holy Spirit, it's not in that type of a context of rejecting the word. That is outright rejection of the Holy Spirit, but when you find the word here blaspheming, it's always tied to somebody seeing the miraculous take place and or receiving the word from those who could confirm, the mirac could confirm their word with miraculous ability and a rejection of that, okay? So you've got people that would deny the Son. You've got people that would deny God. You've got people that would actually deny the Holy Spirit. But to, for it to be blaspheming, uh, and if that didn't make sense, I'll go back. We could actually do a whole lesson on that. Uh, I know we've got a lot of information covered on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in the first century. It is always tied to the miraculous, a rejection of the miraculous in front of them and or the people who were confirming the word through the miraculous. Verse 24. <clears throat> Let that therefore abide in you. Notice I highlighted one word here in yellow. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, does that sound like a conditional statement? That's important, it is. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. What's he talking about? What, what's, what is it that has to abide in them? He is talking about the truth concerning the Father and the Son, that's which the Antichrist denies, and that's what they were taught at the beginning of when they became Christians. Okay, I know that the beginning of what he is talking about is tied directly to the Son and the Father. We're talking about what they were taught when they obeyed the gospel. Okay, And he says, that big word there, that it, this is conditional, if, okay? shall continue in the Son and the Father. Well, notice we have here, as we talk about continuing in the, in the Son and the Father, it's based on this, letting that therefore abide. Okay, The word abide here, minnow, means to settle down and dwell as in one's permanent home. So here's the logical conclusion if you look at this. 
If the truth is permitted to settle down in us, we shall be settled down and have our home in the Father and in the Son. Pretty logical, right? And if we do that, we'll not be like those he mentioned earlier, the Antichrists, and we will be those who are clearly faithful, right? This is where he is taking the mindset right now, okay? He is, he is laying this out so logical. In reality, what we have here from John is really, it's, it's almost like a, like a doctrinal thesis statement on how it is that one can be faithful and be in Christ. So a person can, can permit the truth to be in them by being a faithful Christian. That's how you abide. Now, he doesn't say it, but let's use the logical opposite side. Or they may not permit the truth to remain in them by being unfaithful. Those are your two options. Does anybody think of a third option? Those are the only two I know. You're either faithful, and if you're faithful, you're in the Father and in the Son. Notice this. Let's spin this around for a second. I didn't put this in my notes. Ye shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Let me ask a question. If you are faithful, are you in the Father? That's what that says. If you are faithful, are you in the Son? Does anyone here literally believe they are in the Father? No. How are you in the Father? Through what? Your actions, right? How are you in the Son? He's not lit you're not literally in the Son. You're not literally in the Father. For all the people that think they, are, they literally have the Holy Spirit in them, let's turn it around. The Scriptures say we are in the Father, we are in the Son. The Scriptures say God is in us, Christ is in us, and the Holy Spirit is in us. I don't know anyone who literally believes God is in them. Literally, that God is in their body. I don't know anyone that believes that. But the Scriptures say that God is in us and that we are in Him. I don't know anyone that literally thinks Jesus is in them. But the scriptures teach we are in him and he is in us. But how many of you know someone who literally thinks the Holy Spirit is in them? What'd you say? A lot of people. But in the scriptures, we learn we are in God and he is in us. We learn that we are in Christ and he is in us. And we learn that we are in the Holy Spirit and he is in us. But in none of those... Is he logically dwelling in our body? What was that? I know, and it's seen through our fruits. But if you look at the religious world around us, I don't know what the percentage is, but I would go so far as to probably say, do you think 70 would be too low? 70% of people think literally the Holy Spirit's in them? Or do you think, think it's quite a bit higher? I'm just guessing. It's the equivalent of. It'd be like saying, man, John's kids have so much of him in them. Nobody literally thinks that John is, he is literally in their, in their children. What's he talking about? Mannerisms, characteristics, the way that they behave, right? It's the same thing with the scriptures. You do not find people teaching, you do not find anyone teaching the literal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You do not find that. You do not find Calvinism, primarily until Calvinism really went with what Augustine was teaching. And you do not find what we find today common being premillennialism. 
You don't find that gaining a lot of traction until the end of the 1700s uh, with those, I wish I could remember their names by memory when I'm talking from memory. There was two guys from, the, from Europe that came over here. They were the ones that really pushed and promoted um, premillennialism, which is based on Calvinism and all that. They are the, actually the two guys that started what is now known as Dallas Theological Seminary. And those, from those guys, it spread like wildfire across the U.S. But if you go over to other countries where they have Christians, you don't find a lot of people teaching premillennialism. You don't find a lot of people teaching Calvinism, right? Uh, not unless they've been taught it from over here. And again, a lot of that that you find uh, really a big misunderstanding about interaction between uh, or how the Holy Spirit works, okay? But here he makes this very careful or very clear. So we already looked at the previous passage. Yeah, go ahead. going to get into that a little bit here too. John, John really call, calls that out. But anyway, physically indwelling, right? Our soul is in us, but it's a spiritual soul, mm -hmm. not a physical thing. It, it's the, no different than you know, Jesus being in us, right? Yeah. The image of Jesus is in us because that's how we act. We're going to talk about the image of Jesus and how and how we have Jesus in us here in John also. So we will bring it, we're going to talk about that. Well, the main question to ask is what would be the reason they would need the Holy Spirit in them? Okay, well, let's answer that because that is a good question. I have no notes on that, but let's answer that. Why do people want the Holy Spirit in them? It boils down to a very logical answer, and part of it is based on the false teachings of Augustine and Calvin and... Again, the Gnostic teachings, your body, is, your body is horribly sinful. So sinful that you can't want to do right. What is the logical conclusion? If you're honest, what's the if everyone in this world is sinful and cannot do right, what is the logical conclusion for every person on this planet? We're all going where? Hell. That's the logical conclusion. We're all a bunch of sinners. We can't do right. We don't want to do right. So logically, every one of us has to go to hell. Well, they're missing a lot of the gospel. But if you believe that, you don't want to go to hell, so you need some type of interaction. Well, who's the only person, if you're all going to go to hell, that could keep you from going to hell? God, or a member of the Godhead. And that's why everyone who believes in what we call Calvinism, who, who believes in inherited sin, that's why they all believe they need a personal nudging, and or a guiding by the Holy Spirit. Some even think God literally is guiding them. You need a personal nudging to let you know that you're saved and to guide you into all truth. They misuse that verse. And so without that, you only have one option. That's go to hell, unless God chooses to save you. And what does that turn into? 
Let's cover real quick TULIP. This is what all Calvinists teach. Now, as we do TULIP real quick, remember, they all think they're a bunch of rank sinners who are going to hell. So that starts with T, TULIP. What's that stand for? Total, total depravity. You are just a horrible sinner, right? That's what that means. From the day you're born. You, TULIP. You, total depravity. You is unconditional. Larry, whether you want to be saved or not, God chose you. And you're going, to be, you're going to be elected. You're going to be saved. Unconditional election. Uh, Quentin, <laughs> you're not going to be saved. He didn't elect you, but he did elect Larry. So, Larry, you're going to be saved. Quentin, I don't care how much you go to the, the front and kneel and pray. You just didn't get chosen. So, uh, you know, nothing you can do about that. T-U-L. Limited Limited atonement. So Jesus died on the cross to atone for sins, right? And since God chose you, Larry, Jesus died for your sins. But Quentin, since you didn't get chosen, Jesus didn't die for your sins. It's limited atonement. It's only for the people that got chosen. So Larry, you're good. His blood's going to cover your sins. But Quentin, you, yeah, you just have no, you have no hope. No matter how much you want to go, you're not going. T-U-L-I. Irresistible. Again, it goes back to the unconditional election. doesn't matter how much you don't want to be a Christian. If he chose you to be a Christian, you're going to be a Christian, right? Now, here's, here's where people spin it. If a person actually says they're a Christian, but then they get caught like these televangelists out. We were laughing about this at work today. The tele, or, Yes, we were. Jimmy Baker. What's, everybody, what's Jimmy Baker famous for? He got caught what? Yeah. He got caught with someone who wasn't his wife, didn't he? Would you guys call it? Some people who weren't his wife. Yeah, people who weren't his wife. Scriptures teach that's sinful. Some people would say, you know what? You know why he did that? Because he was never what? He's never saved in the first place. Oh, I like how they spun that around, didn't they? They were caught. They didn't know what to say. Now, wait a minute. If he's a Christian, he wouldn't be able to sin so much as to fall from grace. But wait a minute, he did. So how do we get around that? Oh, we just say he wasn't a Christian. How are they going to argue that? Well, we have examples of people in the Bible who were Christians and they sinned. Who comes to mind? Peter, right off the bat. That's one of the first ones. Go ahead, Jerry. Oh, I was going to say, in that situation there, right, you have the irresistible grace. You're, whatever he did, he was fine, right? That's one side of that tile. The other side is he was never a Christian. Yep. So which one is it? Yeah, I know. Well, so they, they struggle with the irresistible grace because people, I mean, clearly the teaching is, is the, his grace is irresistible. You're going to succumb to it no matter what. The problem is, is they then struggle when people say they were saved and they submitted to that, or they, they had that irresistible grace, which covers everything, by the way. That's what irresistible grace is, right? Grace covers it all. So, Baker, who went out and did what... There was a minister, I don't know who it was, but I read it in a book. I was reading a debate book. He said, his grace is so great that I could go out. He said, I could rape, I could murder. He listed a whole bunch of things, and he said, and if I died after I did it, I'd still go to heaven. Oh, that's, that's messed up theology, isn't it? To be honest, if... If grace covered everything and you took that to a logical conclusion, who would go to heaven? 
everyone. Yeah. But if his grace is completely irresistible and it covers everything, how could he not elect all? It's just not That's true. It's not fair. That, well, Calvinism's not fair. So, so total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and then perseverance of the saints, right? You're not going to fall away. Once saved, always saved. Again, it leads into that. No matter what it is that you do, you're not going to fall away. That's why people want, that's, people want something. They want something because they feel like they're lacking. Uh, I'll grab Sam here in just a second. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there were people in the first century, and I'm not talking about believing in the indwelling, but what church abounded in miraculous gifts? Corinth. Do you think there were people in Corinth that didn't have a miraculous gift? They never met an apostle. Let's say they moved and became a Christian there at that congregation, and they didn't have a miraculous gift. Do you think they felt inferior to Christians who did have a miraculous gift, most likely? I would think so, right? I can speak in tongues. I can prophesy. Hey, what can you do? Uh, nothing. I never, I never met an apostle, and he never laid hands on me, so I don't have a miraculous gift. I bet there were people desirous of that, just like you have people today who want, they want something that they can claim is being done to them or for them that, that shows that they're a Christian. The place down the street that says that they can uh, miraculously heal people and prophesy and all that. Oh yeah. So if you, can't, if you can't hear this and you're watching this online, she's talking about how believing the Holy Spirit indwells you leads to laziness. Here is the best, this is a literal account. I read this and it literally made me laugh in my seat. Because to be honest, it was a good move. It didn't work, but it was a good move. The youth pastor, I use that word very loosely, the youth pastor at a Pentecostal congregation before worship walked up to the pulpit and said, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, I am to replace immediately the head pastor. Who's going to question that, right? What do, you, what do you say? What? Check this out. Here was the ulterior move. The actual minister got up and said, Brother so-and-so just prophesied, said the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He's to take my place. He said, the Holy Spirit just told me that that's not true. <laughs> check mark or checkmate, right? Which, which do you believe? But if you can go around saying, well, the Holy Spirit told me whatever, how do you check that? What's the checks and balance system? People do it all the time. Holy Spirit told me, well, what would he never do? First of all, he would never contradict what? I don't know anything written in the Bible about Mr. So-and-so who's associate pastor of, of a East Coast Miraculous Pentecostal whatever, right? It's, what, what, you have so many denominations, why do you have so many preachers who look down and tell them, you can get a divorce, you don't have to worry about it. You get married again, you don't get a deal. Tell your 
what I want to hear. I'll come and listen. <laughs> Take me to hell. Yeah, I know you. I know you're right. I can go rob that bank or earn you some money and get the business story. So we were talking about. Uh, I was talking at work with uh, my auditor about religious people who are frauds. Funny how I can get that conversation in. Uh, and as we talked about it, I asked him, I said, what, what do you think about religious people? Do you think people, a lot of them are frauds? And I said, people like Benny Hinn and so forth. And he said, <laughs> yeah, I believe a lot of them are. And it just happened. Does anybody in here follow the Tigers? Or sorry, the, the, uh, the Cubs. Zob uh, Zobrist. I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, okay. Does anybody know why he's gone? Remember he just checked out in the middle of the season? There's been a lot of articles about him staying home and taking care of their kids, and I'm like, something must have really bad happened. Well, he has, he's been taking care of his kids, and it's because his wife had an affair with the pastor. And uh, we talked about that. I did with my auditor. I said, what do you think about that? <laughs> I said, isn't there something in the Bible about that? And he said, yeah. I said, do you think that guy was holy? No. Is that the general consensus for most of the religious people today? That's, that's how sad... And Jerry used the correct term earlier. He said Christendom. When we use the term Christendom, we're not talking about Christians. We're talking about anyone who claims to be a Christian. You've got people like people today, these agnostics that they are struggling with here in 1 John. And they teach and believe all kinds of things. They even say that they're Christians, but they're not. They were docetists or, or um, Gnostics. You've got people today claiming to be Christians who teach a number of things that are anti or opposed to Christ and his teachings. Go ahead, Jerry. Uh, just to add to the discussion, in uh, Galatians 1, starting in verse 8, it says, Even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a, a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what we have received, uh, he is to be accursed. For I now seek Anybody in here ever had a desire to do something they ought not to do, but they knew they shouldn't do it? We always, what's the, what's the old cartoon we used to see? I don't think you see it anymore. That's right. You got the devil on the one side, got the angel on the other, and the one saying, just do it. And the other one saying, no, don't do it. And today, if you were to ask people what that inner voice is, I had somebody tell me that they were being talked to by, guess who? Anybody want to guess? They said, does the Holy Spirit talk to you? And I said, No. Does the Holy Spirit talk to you? And they said, yeah, he does. I said, what does he say? Uh, and I said, I said, let me ask you a question. Do you think that possibly it's not the Holy Spirit talking to you, but it maybe is your, what would it be? Conscience. I said, do you think it's your conscience talking to you? Clearly it's wrong to go out and steal. So when I think to myself, don't go out and steal, that's not the Holy Spirit talking to me. Uh, we don't. We learned there's actually a passage uh, in the scripture that talks about the fact that um, God hath God hath hid Himself from He He hath not communicated slash hid Himself or kept Himself in secret. Anytime there is a dialogue between God and a person directly, how do we know about it? It's recorded where. 
than our scriptures. And you have people today claiming that God is talking to them or the Holy Spirit is talking to them. Here's how we know that's not true. First, if he was doing it, and it was the exact same thing taught in the Holy Spirit or taught in our scriptures, that would be redundancy. Why would, first of all, there's a number of problems with it, but why would God tell Joe something that's already in the scriptures? Two, let's talk about favoritism. Uh, Catholics believe in guardian angels. Let's use that one as we talk also about God talking to Joe. If God had a guardian angel that protected Joe, but there was no guardian angel that protected Larry, what do we have going on? Is God a respecter of persons according to the scriptures? No. Why do I quote stuff but can't remember it? Just a second. X1034. X1034. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. If there is a guardian angel protecting Joe, but Larry has a loved one who dies in a car wreck because they didn't have a guardian angel, what would that be? Respecter of persons. Let me just say for anybody watching this, there's no such thing as guardian angels. However, you also have people saying, God spoke to me. If God is speaking to Joe regarding his salvation or how to become a Christian or how to remain a faithful Christian, but he's not doing the same for me, what is he? Respecter of persons. So God is not whispering little secrets into Joe's ear or ways to be saved. We all have the same way to be called to be faithful, and we're called according to, anybody know? Called by the gospel. Second Thessalonians 2.14 Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that allows us to know how to be saved and to remain saved. The Holy Spirit's not whispering anything into my ear telling me how to remain a, Christian, a faithful Christian. God is not talking to me. I am called through the gospel to faithfulness. Right? It's very logical. Let me give you an example. This is one of the craziest examples I've ever heard, but Sam actually knows the person that did this. The milk incident. This is a perfect example of what you're saying. People today who say the Holy Spirit's guiding them, it's not related to anything scriptural. A person we know was driving down the road and stopped the car immediately because they believe the Holy Spirit told them that the person in that house needed a gallon of milk. They needed a gallon of milk, so she stopped the car. She'd just gone to the store. She took the gallon of milk. She went up, knocked on the door, said, Holy Spirit told me that you need a gallon of milk, and she handed it to them. And obviously they needed it because they took the gallon of milk and they shut the door. My opinion is they didn't need a gallon of milk. What they thought they had was what on the front step? 
a crazy person and you don't communicate with a crazy person so you take the milk and say thank you very much and you shut the door and you deadbolt it and you watch out the window while they leave why is the holy spirit telling her to take milk to someone's house he wasn't and it goes exactly with what you said holy spirit's guiding and guiding me and leading me Every time we have anything regarding the Holy Spirit, except for the giving of the miraculous gifts, but that was actually used to, that was actually used for the purpose of remaining and being a faithful Christian and teaching the gospel. Every time you have anything regarding the Holy Spirit, it's pertaining to the teaching of the gospel, right? Or to allowing someone to have a gift to either teach the gospel or remain faithful. Mm -mm. It was for a purpose, not this, you know, hey, the Holy Spirit told me to turn right and then, you know, instead of turn left. Or it's not like this, this holy navigation or anything like that. It's just, it's, yeah. So, yeah, so let's continue on this for a second. I know we, we get off topic and it's actually, well, go ahead, Wendy. Well, I was going to say, you know, if we're training our children up correctly to have a conscience according to the scripture, because you can have different, you know, Jimmy Cricket says, let your conscience be your guide, and it's not going well. Mm-mm. Yep. But that's not the Holy Spirit talking to you, that's your Bible that, knowledge from the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, when you think of Pentecost, oh, go ahead. Oh, just, you would kind of point a phrase that, to go along with what Wendy was saying, your conscience is calibrated by the Word, and that, I thought that was probably the best way to put it, is that, you're, you know, conscience, I guess, when I think of conscience, I think of some sort of emotion, whether guilt shows up or apathy, whatever, and, you know, when you do something, you feel guilty about it, there's happiness, pleasure, whatever. And if your conscience, if those emotions are calibrated by the word, then yeah, I guess that could be a good thing, like Wendy was saying. So I, I don't know. I, I thought that was a good way that you kind of fleshed that out, what that is. Well, let's give another good example. So Pentecostalism, they all believe they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They know that they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when they can do what? Okay, so they speak in tongues in their worship assembly. And they teach that speaking in tongues is a sign to the other Pentecostals that they have received the Holy Spirit. What's the first problem with that? What was that? It's not found in the Bible. When person, when a person is, what's the purpose of tongues in the New Testament? It's so that, yeah, you could speak in one language and another person, it's for the, the non-believer. But Pentecostals teach you speak in tongues as a sign to the believers that you are saved, right? Why is it not? It never, yeah. Yeah. They would have to be that way, right? I'm trying to find the verse right here. Believe not. There we go. That. Listen to this really carefully. So Pentecostals, they 
speak in tongues, and it's assigned to the believer in the audience, and it's not being used to teach the gospel, right? Hear my tie, see my tie. That's not teaching the gospel, right? You don't even know what they're, what they're saying. 1 Corinthians 14, 22, Wherefore tongues are, are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them that believe. Now here's the other thing. Um, also in Corinthians. Yep, go ahead. So let me read a passage based on this, and I'll grab John. Yeah. So I'm going to grab you, John. So Sam said in the congregation, we had never been there before. People were speaking in tongues, and everyone, everyone jumped up. They spun around, and they all threw to their knees, and their heads went into the seats. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14, 23, because this is what we thought. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that they are mad? That's what we thought. We thought we were with a bunch of crazy people because they were acting like they were speaking in tongues, and they weren't, and that tongues are known languages. That's the craziness we have going on. And all of them believe that they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. These, these are all, they're all Galileans. These are all Galileans. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, guys, we haven't even come close. Are we already past time? We didn't even... We didn't even stay close to our Bible study today, guys. We were not even anywhere near what we were supposed to cover. Uh, and, I, and I'm talking... <laughs> and I'm talking like I've been drinking since I cut my tooth and it's rubbing on my tongue. I can barely talk. Yeah, uh, the religious world around us in many ways are much like the much like the Gnostics or the Docetists that are causing problems for the church because they believe and teach a lot of the same things. <laughs> we, were, we were actually at the crow's nest. Uh, that's, where I, that's where I broke my tooth Friday night. You guys couldn't tell I was struggling really bad Sunday? Oh, yeah. It's, I'm pretty sure I was bleeding out of my... I was afraid I was dripping it on my notes up here. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of the problems he's dealing with, and, and he, we're going to continue on, guys. If you haven't read this, he's going to talk about uh, how we know Christ is in us and how we are not antichrists. Uh, and, and hopefully, actually, it should be pretty good study as we go forward. If we can, stay on, we can stay on track, we don't even try. All right, let me hand this over to Joe. Joe is in charge, I think. Okay.